We don't usually do it this way, but can, can you just pray with me for a moment before we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we want these words that we have just sung together to be true. Lord, would you come into this place this morning and would you speak to us through your word? Would we sing this morning? Would we praise you this morning in a way that's glorifying to you? Would you change us this morning through what we hear and what we understand of you? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares for us. And I just pray right now, Lord, that we would enter into your word with open eyes and open hearts and would your spirit do a work in us this morning. We pray this in the name of your precious son. Amen. Good morning. I don't know if anyone knows, but we also have seats in the front. You're welcome to use them. I don't know what happened over here, but you're welcome to come sit in the front if you have any trouble hearing or you want to be closer to the fan which is on. I hope you can hear okay, but we're just trying to keep everybody cool, and we really thought once we got to October, we'd be fine, but what do we know? So it will probably start cooling off eventually, but thank you for being here with us this morning. I'm really excited as we continue our study of the Psalms. For those of you who have been with us the last couple of weeks, we're just beginning a new series entitled Marvelous God, Knowing Our Father Through the Psalms. And I've actually been really nervous leading up to this series because it's not that easy to teach the Psalms, but the more we get into it, the more excited I get about this series because I think it really gives us an opportunity to do something that we don't often do. It gives us an opportunity as a church family to just spend time thinking deeply about God thinking deeply about what it means for us, just us, to be in relationship with Almighty God. That's an amazing thing. And the Psalms have this interesting way of relating that in a way that we can understand. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, usually when we come to hear a sermon, we come to Scripture and we say, okay, what am I supposed to learn What am I supposed to learn from this story or from this letter that is written? But when we come to the Psalms, we approach it differently. We approach the Psalms saying, what am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to feel as the psalmist is trying to express what it means to be in relationship with God? So the first week we talked about, how does it change me to know that God is holy? How does it change me to know that God is completely unlike anyone or anything that I've ever experienced in my life? What does that mean for me? Or last week, Evan talked to us about what does it mean for me that God is in charge, that God is completely sovereign over every circumstance? What does that mean for me? Not just that I would know that that's true, but I would know what that means for me in relationship with God. That's why we come to the Psalms for a series like this, because the Psalms are a collection of poems a collection of songs where people have come and tried to express through words or through word pictures what it means and what it's like to be in relationship with God, which is pretty hard to express. And so they express it in the form of a song or in the form of a poem to say, this is what it's like for me to relate to God. A pretty amazing thing and a pretty difficult thing to do. So every week we're going to look at a specific psalm. And every week we're going to highlight a specific attribute of God that is on display in that psalm. 
eight weeks, eight psalms, eight specific attributes of our marvelous God. That's the idea of what we're doing here. Now, if you've looked at your message notes this morning, some of you have opened your worship folder and you've got a place there to take notes, and you see the title of the sermon, God Knows Everything. And you just go, I know that. And so you check out. I already know that God knows everything, so it's time to check on my fantasy football team. And if you're going to do that, I would just ask, could you just let me know how Marshawn Lynch is doing? Because he's killing me this year on my team. Or you're not into fantasy football, so you're like, I know that God knows everything, so it's time for me to consider my schedule this week, what I've got on the calendar coming up. So I'm just going to retreat into my head, and I'm going to start thinking about my week. Maybe that's too much pressure. It's still the weekend. You're holding on to Sunday as long as you can. So you're like, I don't want to think about my week. That's too overwhelming. I'm just going to think about where I'm going to lunch after church. Probably going to go to In-N-Out because that sounds really good. Maybe want to pick a place that has air conditioning. Okay, can I just, before you go away, can I just try to capture your attention for a minute? Just stay with me. Because there's a difference between saying that God knows everything and understanding that God knows everything. Do you see the difference a little bit? Let me try to do it this way. By show of hands, how many of you are on Facebook? Not currently, but like you have an account. Okay, quite a few. You have an account, you check in from time to time. It's a great way to get to know people, right? Facebook, you find out about people's interests, what kind of hobbies they have. You find out like what they are about to eat or have just eaten. You learn a lot about that. You learn a lot about people's political views on Facebook. I would dare to say that I know what many of my Facebook friends feel or think about President Obama, what many of my Facebook friends feel or think about gun control, because we we put those things out there on Facebook, because the whole point of Facebook is that we would know each other. I mean, like, really know each other, what we're really like, right? No. That's not the point of Facebook. The point of Facebook is to represent yourself to the world in the way that you want to be known. People don't really know me through Facebook. They know the me I want to represent. They know what I want other people to think I'm like. Because there's a lot of things in my life that I don't put on Facebook because I'm in control of Facebook. This is not a sermon on Facebook. It's not a commentary on Facebook. But here's what I, I want to prompt in your mind this morning. When you log into Facebook, for those of you who don't have it, here's, here's the prompt it gives you when you log in. It says, what's on your mind? Just tell us what's on your mind. And you can attach a picture to it and say, here's what's on my mind and here's a picture to go with it. And usually it makes me look pretty good. But what would happen if Facebook was not in my control? What if Facebook just posted what's on my mind? and a picture to go with it. That's not cool. So I've done a little work on this, and I'm going to ask Robin if she can help me out. What if Facebook looked a little bit more like this? So here's my Facebook page. I don't know if you can all see this or not, but just posted this a little while ago. I lied to a friend today. I didn't have to. It was just easier than telling the truth. Hashtag best friends forever. Okay, or another one I posted recently. Watched a pretty questionable movie on Netflix. Knew I shouldn't watch it, but I watched it anyway. The hashtag is integrity, right? Just want to make sure everyone knows that about me. Watched something I shouldn't have watched. Knew it in advance, did it anyway. Okay, here's the last one. You're getting the idea, right? 
yelled at my two-year-old for spilling her milk, not because I expect her to have highly developed fine motor skills, just because I had a bad day at work. Father of the year, right? Nobody posts stuff like this on Facebook. Nobody does that because nobody wants to be known that way. The reality is if our real selves, who we really are, was represented on Facebook, nobody would want to be our friend. Right? Isn't that true? What we really thought, what's really on our mind? I would dare to say that many of you here this morning have done something this last week or in the last few months that you would rather die than have it posted on Facebook. Literally, you would rather die than have anyone know that true thing about you on Facebook, right? To have the whole world know this about who I am. Well, here's the thing. I want you to read that sermon title again. God knows everything. God knows everything. Now do I have your attention a little bit? God gets your unfiltered, unmoderated, unposted Facebook messages and all the pictures to go with them. He knows what's on your mind. He knows it all. Everything you've done, everywhere you've gone, everything you've said, everything you've not said. God knows everything. When you start to think about that, that's actually quite sobering to consider. It's actually quite startling. So we're going to look at a psalm this morning, Psalm 139, that's going to drive this home. And what I love about the psalms is that it gives a very real response, a very relatable response to this truth. But if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Psalm 139? Psalm 139 If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can use one of ours. We have them scattered around the seats this morning. So if you look around, you can find one. And if you don't have a Bible or you prefer this one, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. If you're looking for the Psalms, if you just open your Bible right to the middle, you'll probably hit them. And we're going to be toward the end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. If you're using our Bible, that's page 521. What I want to start with this morning is I just want to read the Psalm together. And then I want to walk through it and unpack it a little bit. But with this idea in mind that God knows everything. Psalm 139, read with me starting in verse 1, says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not 
hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a big psalm. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of truth packed into this psalm. This is a lot bigger than any psalm we've tried to tackle so far. But it is just loaded with truth about who God is. And as you hear it this morning, I'm thinking you're hearing some familiar words, probably pieces of that psalm that you know or have memorized that are familiar to you. But we want to put those into the context of where David's heart is this morning as he expresses this. So this morning, would you look at this? Let's walk through it together and just unpack a little bit of what David has on his heart this morning. We say God knows everything, and we tend to think of that as God has a knowledge about every kind of thing and how it works in the world, we don't tend to think of that in a personal way. But what David is really saying is that God knows everything about me. It's deeply personal. God knows everything about me. Look how he starts the psalm, these first three verses. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He says, Lord, you have searched me. You have studied me and you know me. You know what I do. You know what I think. You know where I go. You know what I'm like. You know everything. And as we think about it, it's like God knows everything. I mean, right? Verse 4, look as he continues. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows what I'm thinking before I say it. Amazing. Creepy. Both, right? Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So God, you, you walk before me. And you walk behind me, which is strange. You're all around me. God, you, you've surrounded me. And you're near me. You lay your hand on me. You, you're my protector. You're close. You're all around me. Verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. He's saying, I, I cannot wrap my mind around you, God. This is too good. This is too amazing. This blows my mind. I can't comprehend what you're like. And do you see that David's initial response is just wonder? Wow. 
God knows everything about me. That's amazing. I don't even understand what that's like. I can't even comprehend it. And he uses all these words to try to, <clears throat> excuse me, describe it or explain it. God, you know everything, and I want to put words to that. You know where I go. You know what I'm like. You know what I think. You know. But his second response is a little more measured. It's a little more where if you're tracking with this and you're thinking about it personally, this is probably where your mind goes too. The second response is a little more hesitant. second response is a little more, God, you know everything. God, you know everything. Uh, because look where he goes next. God knows everything about me. And part of that is wonderful and part of that is scary and unsettling. David expresses this kind of tension that we feel in our heart when we realize that God knows everything because I have a fear of being known this way. I have a fear of someone who knows everything, of being exposed. And yet at the same time, I desperately want someone to know me as I am and accept me. And so there's this balance, there's this tension, this wrestling in my heart that David expresses over the next few verses. So look with me, starting in verse 7. Scott read this earlier. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, the psalm is expressing this wonder and this awe and this, wow, God knows everything, but it's not all like puppies and rainbows because David gets what that means. And he says, where can I flee? Where can I go? How can I get away from you? I can go to heaven. I can go to the grave. I can sprout wings and fly to the end of the ocean, but you're there. You're always there. Some might argue as you read this that David is just trying to express that God's wonderful presence is wherever he goes. And that's certainly there because everywhere God is, David says, and still, no matter how far I go or where I go, you still lead me, you still guide me, you still hold me, you still protect me. God's presence has this wonderful quality to it, and that's true. But I think if David was just trying to tell us that God's wonderful presence is everywhere, he would have just said that. But he specifically says, where can I flee? When Paul wants to express that God's wonderful presence is everywhere, he just says it. He says, God, you're, what can separate me from your love? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And Paul expresses it in those words. David says, where can I go where you aren't? Because I don't want to be known this way. Because I don't want to be exposed before you. Because I don't want you to know me. Because if you know me, you won't like what you see in me. Because my heart is not right. It's actually very similar to the reaction that we get from Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember? In the presence of God, walking with Him in the garden. And then when they sin, when they disobey, when they break God's rule, what do they do? They cover up. They hide. Let's hide from God behind a tree. That's a good idea. He'll never find us there. 
They cover up. They cover themselves. There's real emphasis on the fact that before sin, they are naked and unashamed in the presence of God, and then all of a sudden there's sin, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no, God, don't be near me. Don't find me. I don't want to be known. I don't want to be exposed before you. When we are exposed, we cover up. When our deepest, darkest parts are brought out into the light, we just want to grab them and pull them back. Say, don't, you don't want to see that. You don't want to look at that. Please. And even in that feeling of wanting to flee from God, David expresses that no matter where I go, God, you're there and you're caring for me and your hand is there and you guide me and you lead me. I understand that your presence is good and right and wonderful, but oh, I don't feel good about myself. That's his heart that he's expressing here. Here's the thing that David understands. He understands it maybe the way that we do, a little bit because he understands it imperfectly, but God is not just there to point out how bad we are. It feels that way because we know ourselves. But when God says that I know everything, it's not his way of saying, you can't get away from me. I'm going to go wherever you go and I'm going to say, I know how bad you are and I've known all the bad things that you've done. That's my job as God to make you feel bad about yourself. No, David says, you're still there. You still care. You still love me. That's amazing because you know everything about me. God knows everything about me because he's my creator. He's my designer. That's where David goes next. He's given 12 verses to talk about the fact that God knows everything about him. And then he turns to say, Think about how much thought God has put into me. Not just that he knows what I've done, but that God put thought into me from the beginning. Look, verse 13. And the, next, the following verses says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it. Very well, he says. Verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. David says, God, you designed me. You created me. You put me together. You knit me together with tremendous consideration for me. You put together my body and my life and my mind and put all this thought into who I am and what I would be like. And his response is, wow. Praise God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God Himself who thought about me in every detail before I was here, before I was known. He says, God, you knew me when I was unformed. You knew then what my life would be like. You knew then how many days I would have. You knew then what I would think about and what I would say and how I would disobey you and how I would reject you. You knew it all from the beginning, God. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. 
I awake and I'm still with you. David says, consider how much thought God has put into me. I can't even count the number of thoughts He has given to me in all of my detail as my creator and my designer. How amazing is that, that I couldn't even number them. It's like the sand before me, the thought and consideration that God has put into my life. Incredible. He's given it a lot of thought. That God knows everything about him, that God has put all this thought into him. And then the psalm takes this kind of weird turn. Maybe you heard it even as we were reading through it this morning. Like, well, that's sort of weird. Why is that part in there? David seems to get really angry all of a sudden in the middle of this thinking deeply about God and his knowledge of him. Look with me in verse 19. He says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. It's like, well, that's kind of a rabbit trail. In the middle of this beautiful poem about God and what He knows of me and how He's given me all this thought and consideration, David just lashes out at the enemies of God. Why is that? David's just spent all this time wrestling through these difficult things, and I mean wrestling because he seems to go back and forth in how this makes him feel. He says, God, you know me. You've studied me. You're, You're a student of me. You know me deeply. You care for me. You know everything that I've done. Hold on. You know everything that I've done. Oh, wait, wait. That makes me really uncomfortable. I I don't want you to know me. I'm not worthy of being known. I'm not worthy of you putting thought and time into me. I don't want you to know what I'm like. But wait. You knew all those things in advance. You already knew those things about me. You put me together. You knew what this would all look like. And you still are there. And you're still with me. And you still lead me and guide me and care for me. And you love me and you come near to me. And all those things are still true. That's amazing. I don't get it. I don't know what that kind of love is like, but that's amazing. Praise God. What a marvelous God. And then he thinks, but not everybody thinks that way. Not everybody knows that. And if that's true of God, then David says, how is it possible that there are those who hate you If that's true of you, God, how is it possible that there are those who reject you? How can anyone take your name in vain? How can anyone drag your name through the mud? How can anyone reject that kind of love, that kind of God? How is that possible? How dare anyone treat you that way? How dare anyone speak of my Father that way? That's the heart and the emotion that we hear from David. So he says, If they're enemies of yours, then they're enemies of mine. I want no part of them, God. I hate them. And then he says, I hate them with complete hatred. I super hate them. It's very loaded, very strong emotion. And we just think, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. And that's true. But for David, doesn't have the New Testament yet. And also, remember that we're reading a psalm. It's not a story. It's not a narrative. 
It's not a letter saying you ought to be this way. This is David expressing his heart, just raw emotion before God, saying, I hate people who reject you and don't love you and drag your name through the God through the mud. How dare they treat my God that way? You are my father, and if this is true about you, then how dare anyone reject that? How, anyone, how dare anyone speak of you this way? And look what it does in David's own heart, because this last part of the psalm we all know, but all of a sudden it has a different context. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, how can it be possible, God, that there are people that hate you or reject you or use your name in vain? And then he says, God, don't let that be true of me. Please don't let that be true of me. Search me, God. Search my heart. Make sure there's nothing in my life that would be offensive to you. I don't want to be in that camp. I don't want to be one of your enemies. I want to follow you. I want to be near to you. I want to love you. Do you see what he's saying? Help me, God. It's so fascinating to me how this psalm progresses from beginning to end. Because at the beginning, David talks about, God, you have searched me, and you have known me, and you know everything about me, and that's unsettling. And I'm sort of like, no thank you. And do you see how the psalm ends? With complete surrender, David's saying, God, search me. Know me. Make sure there is nothing in my life that is offensive before you because there's nowhere I can go and there's nowhere I can run from your presence and I understand now that that is amazing because you still love me even though you know and I can't even comprehend a love like that. Never experienced it before. Matt Chandler says this great thing about love. He says that um, love says, I've seen the ugly parts of you, and I'm staying. That's love. I've seen the ugly parts of you, and I'm staying. God knows everything. Everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, He knows it all. And that's scary, and that makes me want to hide, but I can't. He knows me, and He knows you. Even all the things that you want to hide away and pull out of the light and into the dark, God knows them. And He says, I've seen them all. I've seen all the ugly parts of you, and I'm staying. I'm staying near. I'm before you. I'm behind you. I'm touching you. I'm leading you. I'm loving you. And all I can think is, as scary as it is to be fully known by God, How amazing is that? And doesn't that just make the gospel all that much more amazing and all that much more wonderful? That God says, I've seen all the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. I've seen all the ugly parts of you. In fact, I knew them all in advance. I saw them coming. I saw all the rejection and all the pain. And I still sent my son to die in your place so you could be with me. That's what kind of God I am. How crazy is that? How amazing is that? What a marvelous God. My prayer is that we would be people who arrive in the same place that David is at the end of the psalm. That we would just say, okay God, know me. 
just, I want to be known fully because I want to be loved completely. And I just want to bask in your amazing love for me that is beyond my comprehension because that's the God that we know. That's the God that David points us to this morning. What a marvelous God, don't you think? What a marvelous God. You have your connection card this morning. I'd like you to take that out because I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. And we're going to praise God together now. There can be a real freedom in being known by God because it actually frees us from carrying around a lot of shame and a lot of baggage. There are a lot of us that walk in this morning carrying a pretty heavy weight and a lot of shame as we come in here this morning. And we actually believe that God doesn't love us because of that or that God loves us less because of that. And the gospel, the whole story of the Bible would say, that's not true. That's not true. Because it said, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He knew it all in advance. He died for us while we were sinners. He says, I've taken care of it. So for those of you that are in a relationship with Jesus Christ who have already surrendered your life to Him, He just says, let it go. Put it at the cross. It's like, hey, I died for that. Let it go. And experience forgiveness. Some of you have surrendered your life to Christ and you understand that that means that you're saved, but you don't understand that it means you're forgiven. And you are. And some of you have never done either. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. And you've never given up all of that shame. And Jesus says, hey, I died for that. I know all of it. None of it's going to surprise me. Leave it at the cross. Because it's done. It's done. We really want to worship God this morning. So I'm going to call the worship team up now. Here's what I'm going to say. Some of you need to spend a little time thinking deeply about God this morning and the fact that He knows everything about you. And I would invite you, if there's a prayer request that comes out of that, you can share that with us on the card. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you can do that on the card or you can come up and talk to us about it. Some of you have some shame in your life that you need to let go of and you need to just do that. That's between you and God and you need to sit quietly now and have a conversation with the Lord. And we're going to sing and you're going to sit and be quiet and spend some time with Him. Some of you need to revel this morning in the fact that we have a marvelous God. And so I would just say, stand up and praise that God who knows everything about you, says, I've seen all the ugly parts and I'm staying and I love you and I sent my son to die for you. And if you can worship him that way this morning, then do it and sing out to him and praise him. Really praise him. We have an opportunity to respond and worship to God this morning. So let's do that together.